This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 125. Coming up, we discuss food labels and how they may be misleading at times. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast. It's a podcast dedicated to navigating how we can improve our health and well-being through small healthy habits we start implementing right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatica, and every other week we'll sit down with a certified expert to discuss topics that cover nutrition, fitness, and more. And on this episode, we're going deep into food labels and how to differentiate between mislabeled unhealthy food and other options that are truly healthier. With us today, because we missed her, it's been a month or so, is a registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Shanti Apello nutrition expert extraordinaire. Good to see you again. <laughs> good to see you. Thanks for the intro. Oh, sure. You know, it's it's good because it's always nice to have you here. And this is a big one. I mean, this is, I never used to pay attention to labels. And then once I got hooked, I now dig into all this stuff. And every time we walk down an aisle at a grocery store, we see products that appear to be healthy, right? We've got signs yeah. screaming at us, end aisle stuff, box aisle stuff. And it, at face value, you know, it shows that this is healthy. We see phrases like low fat and low carb and low calorie, all this stuff jumping on almost like a neon. You know, I think if they could figure that out someday, they'll make all the signs flash at us. So we see these claims, and I guess we might think that these products have better ingredients for us, that they're ones that, you know, are they touting real facts or is this just marketing stuff? So I guess we can unpack so much of this idea about decoding food labels and where we even start with this idea. Yeah. Are you that person who's doing some light reading in the aisle? You're just like... I am. I am. That's I good. Got, I have a buddy who is a doctor who's a metabolic specialist, and he started to talk to me about things. And once you get it, this is my experience, because it wasn't a thing I really was into. Once I understood what to look for and why, whether I'm looking at protein, fat, in my case, I was really studying sodium and it was blowing my mind how much stuff was in just a can of soup or something. Right. Yeah, I'm hooked. I am that guy that reads stuff. Yeah. I think that's super motivating to hear, though, because I completely agree with you. Once you get it, once it clicks, once you know what to look for and how to make sense of that in terms of your health, it is so much easier. And you can just literally pick up two pieces of product that are very similar and quickly decipher which one's the better option. So what do you think we should be on the lookout for when it comes to food labels? I don't know if that's a good place to start or the idea of how they're regimented, because there is some kind of method to the madness of the first yeah. ingredient, right, that we see in there and all that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So when I, as a nutritionist, go look at a food label, I'm looking at the ingredient list, number one. Uh -huh. The next place my eyes go to is the serving sizes, but also the servings per container. That's huge. If I am looking at the nutrition facts label, I'm also paying attention to the calories a little bit, saturated fat, and sodium. Those are the keys to me, and also sugar or added sugar. Well, you know, the portion is really critical, and sometimes we, I shouldn't say we, I look at it like two cookies, the portion is two cookies, and that gives us, you know, 160 calories. You think, I can do that. Well, yeah, but you're not just going to eat two. You know, so. right? Depending on the size of them, and yeah, I, yeah, I've I've been using this phrase a lot, but like I feel bamboozled because I've been to like a vending machine, and then you get like a serving of maybe it's chips or crackers or something like that, 
And obviously you're going to eat the whole bag. Like it's a very small bag with mostly air in it. And then when you go to look at it, sometimes there are two or even three servings in that container. So it's something to be wary of, especially when you see that, wow, this cookie is only 30 calories. Oh, well, it's because it's a fourth of a cookie, right? Right. Um, So really getting into how much you get to consume for that amount. So let me go back to something you said, and I, I don't want to let this escape for maybe just my sake. When you say you look for the, you know, the top ingredient, yeah, we're not talking about fat and sodium and all that yet, but when we're talking top ingredient, the assumption is that a can of something that's called chicken, that the number one ingredient would be chicken. You'd hope, yeah. You hope, right? But that kind of blows my mind too, that sometimes that's not the first, sometimes it's just wheat or, you know, there's something else that starts off as the headline. That's very interesting to me. Right, right. So one of my favorite sweets, Nutella, for example, I'm not seeing hazelnuts in the first top three ingredients. It's going to be a lot of oil. It's going to be a lot of sugar, but I would hope I'm consuming nut butter. Cocoa is in there somewhere, right? Cocoa is in there. Yep, yep. And so that brings up a good point because when we're looking at the ingredient list, the first ingredient is what makes up the larger part of that ingredient in terms of weight. And I think actually a good example is probably salad dressing because I I do like to make my own salad dressing. However, for a lot of vinaigrettes and stuff like that, I do love to pick one up from the store that's already made for me. But when I'm choosing to do that, I'm making sure that the first three ingredients make sense to me. I don't want to have something too sweet. So hopefully I'm not seeing sugar in there. I'm seeing either oil or vinegar as one of the top ingredients and sometimes even water. There's nothing wrong with seeing a little bit of water in the first few ingredients on a salad dressing because it just means that the oil has been lightened up a little bit because when we look at oil, though olive oil isn't unhealthy for us, when we have too much of it, it can quickly add up in calories. So a tablespoon is 120 calories. Imagine having five of those in a dressing, which a lot of people tend to overconsume, right? So there's nothing wrong with mixing a little water in there. But essentially, you want to see things in the top ingredients that make sense for that food. Is this a soup? Okay, well, I'd like to see probably water or broth in the first few ingredients, along with the protein and along with some veggies, right? And what is making, you know, if you're looking at a creamy soup, to your point, what's making it creamy? You know, the word creamy implies cream. Of course, that's likely not the case. But what is it that's thickening the soup? You know, such a good point. Yes, because you're like, is it? heavy cream. In that case, you know, maybe I should slow down on the portion. Maybe I should take a second look at that saturated fat content in that product. And then you've got this whole question of, you know, you mentioned oil. You would assume it's a healthy oil. Maybe not, especially if it's, you know, the kind of vinegar and oil product that's the cheapest buy, you know, or the generic portion. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying that maybe it's not the healthiest oil that you would want to be consuming all the time. Right. So does your eye go to ingredients first or that nutritional value? Mine actually goes to the ingredients first and then to the nutrition. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's personal preference. I'm not saying that like one is better than the other. I think it just goes to like if I see ingredients that make sense, it's usually what makes me choose a product over another product. So if I'm between two vinaigrettes, I'd rather have one with wholesome ingredients towards the beginning of the list rather than something that meets another standard for me. But they're saying a lot of the same thing, right? So like, for example, if I'm like trying to avoid a lot of sugar in the top of the list for that ingredient label, I'm also able to see that on the serving or on the nutrition facts label in terms of added sugar. So I think it's important to talk about some of those things, though, 
So when we're looking at that nutrition facts label, it's really going to dive into exactly what's in the food. And I think I actually tend to not look at the percentages so much. You know, you see the percent daily value on there, right? On the side, on the right side. So with that, I think those can provide a lot of good like guidance, but because it's based on a 2000 calorie diet, which everyone doesn't follow, it doesn't apply to every person. But the way that I like to look at it is something is low in said nutrient if it's 5% of the daily value or less. So if it's 5% or less, that's a good guideline that I like to use for something like saturated fat or cholesterol or sodium, right? High is usually 20% or more. So this is definitely one that I want to look at for sodium. If it's more than 20% of my daily value of sodium, and this is only one single food product or even one single ingredient, I might, you know, go for a different option. But on the flip side, high can also mean a good thing. So if we're seeing 20% or more, we want to see that for things like dietary fiber. We want to see that for things like your nutrients. You know, you're going to see iron. You're going to see things like that on there. So we want to see those. That 20% can just be a really good guidance. Are the terms that we see, those ones that kind of jump out, like I was saying, with, um, you know, neon lights, low fat, low cal, zero something, are those really managed well by the federal government or otherwise? Or do manufacturers have a pretty wide berth of what they can put on package? They got such a wide berth. Yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And this is the things that we see, you know, when you're looking down <laughs> right. an aisle, it's not like, They have this like pretty list of ingredients and nutrition facts label. It looks the same. It's pretty boring to look at. And when you're looking at the front of a package, you're seeing beautiful advertising that's been very carefully crafted and very carefully crafted words that may not mean much. So some of the culprits of this, especially, okay, bread, very staple ingredient. I have some favorites of mine and I know exactly what I'm looking for, but some of the things can be really confusing. One is going to be the color like more the brown or the bread, usually the healthier you'd think. But sometimes it's just the syrup that's making it that color. Yeah. But there's some names on there. Like, for example, multigrain. That sounds pretty healthy, right? Uh Now, it just means that there's more than one type of grain in that food. So that's not necessarily something to write home about, right? Well, right. Especially if it's bread, you've got to have a grain, right? Right. (laughs) You've got to have grain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we're using wheat and barley. Good job. Multigrain. So instead, you want to look for whole grain and really seeing that in the first ingredient of a bread. You know, the one ingredient that blows my mind, and I think this is on my mind because we just had spaghetti and meatballs the other night, is the shaker of cheese that one of the ingredients is cellulose. And their claim is not that they're filling up the package with cellulose. Basically, it's sawdust, right? They're saying it's a separator. I Googled it. I'm like, what? Why is there sawdust in my cheese? It's because they say it keeps the cheese from gumming up inside the shaker. Okay, I'm kind of with you. But if I get shredded real cheese at the grocery store to sprinkle on my spaghetti, I feel like I'm doing myself a better favor. But you'll see cellulose even in ingredients like breadstuffs. I mean, you'll see it in there if you look hard enough. Exactly. Yeah. And things like bread, we want to see mostly some kind of flour, uh, <laughs> yeah. some kind of grain, right. uh, maybe some yeast, maybe some kind of fat, maybe an egg. But we want to see like water and things like that in the first ingredients. I think another one, though, that is very confusing is you see no sugar added. However, that could be a product that's naturally super full of sugar already. They're just not adding anything additional. It could also be a product that's super, super sweet. 
Right. Like I personally don't have the flavor preference for artificial sweeteners. And it's really hard to find products out there that aren't sweetened in some way. Sometimes I just don't want the flavor of sweet. And so if you sometimes choose a no sugar added option or sugar free option, you're then instead left with uh, artificial sweetener. So I think, you know, don't automatically go to something that says no sugar added as a great choice. However, it could be. But again, we're just going to look at the label and see how much sugar total is in that food. Have you seen those jars of um, grapefruit slices at the grocery store or ever bought those? And it says right at big letters, zero sugar, no sugar added or something. Yeah. And I get a jar of that. I'm thinking, man, am I doing myself a favor? And I start eating some of these. I'm like, man, are these great? How can this be? No sugar in a grapefruit? Well, it's because it was artificially sweet. It was still great stuff. It's just that it was one of those items that enticed me to buy it because of what was on the label. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of something kind of interesting. And it's when you go down the, the grocery aisles, and sometimes it's like in the sauce and dressing aisle, but you see you see a lot of zero calorie foods, right? And you're like, how is this possible? Like, I'm, it's not made out of air and water. So like, <laughs> what is yeah. happening here? Yeah. So the way that sugar alcohols, and they are not artificial sweeteners, sugar alcohols is different but they're digested by our body differently than regular sugar. It's kind of like, it's partly indigestible, so it's kind of absorbed by the body or broken down by the body similar to fiber. So because of that, it doesn't have the full four calories per gram. So, you know, like a carbohydrate, technically sugar alcohol is a carbohydrate. However, carbohydrates usually have four calories per gram of amount, but sugar alcohols, have a little bit less. And so in that, they're able to claim very low caloric counts. And oftentimes, Chuck, manufacturers will adjust the serving size just a little bit so that they can get away with more. So for example, if you see something that has five calories or less, it's going to be probably labeled as calorie-free because you're allowed to produce things that are considered zero calorie if it has less than five calories. So in that way, a lot of manufacturers are going to tailor that serving size so that they can make it zero calorie. Oh, that's a brilliant thing. I know that if I look at a whip topping, right, in a tub, two tablespoons serving, zero. Yeah. Now you're telling me I could eat the whole tub and it's still, it's impossible, right? Well, let's talk about spray oil, you know? Like you see, like obviously oil I mentioned earlier, one tablespoon, 120 calories. It's easy to drizzle that onto something before you bake it or whatever. So then, oh, spray oil, two calories is what it says. And then you start spraying and you're like, oh, that's that's like a millisecond. (laughs) (laughs) And that doesn't give me any oil. So, I mean, I'm not trying to hate on spray oil. I actually use spray oil for a lot of things. I think it's a great option because it evenly distributes the oil onto things. It can make the texture really good and it can cut down on your oil usage. However, I think it's just important to recognize that it's really not so low calorie as it seems to be sometimes because we do tend to spray longer than the suggested amount on the bottle. I think one of the most brilliant marketing things, and it's not that I bought into it because I think this particular example is real, triple zero yogurt, right? It's, I mean, how could you have anything healthier? Not just zero, it's triple zero. Yeah. And of course what they're referencing is zero sugar, zero fat. So I get it. Yeah. But it's, it's a brilliant marketing thing because when you see it, you think, well, I mean, it's it's better than double zero. It's triple zero, you know. The more zeros, the better. I mean, exactly. the bank account too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think in that case, that's a real product. So 
that may not be a good one. What else are you seeing that could be misleading us that's on packaging? Anything we haven't touched on? Yeah, I think uh, the word natural can be really confusing on the front. So, you know, usually it means that it doesn't have anything artificial, like your colors, your flavors, preservatives, things like that. But natural doesn't always mean healthy. You know, there are a lot of natural ingredients in many cookies, but then they're full of, like, sugar is natural, for example. And we know that sugar is, when we consume it in too high of amounts, is linked to obesity and isn't great for people who have chronic illnesses, right? Yeah. We can't have too much of that. So I think that's one. And then another one is organic. So whenever we see organic on a food label, it's like, okay, well, you know, we've talked in previous episodes about how organic can be really great for sustainability and things like that. However, there are a lot of foods oftentimes that go into these ultra processed foods that could be considered organic, but that doesn't necessarily make them healthy because, you know, you can have a lot of unhealthy fats and and sugars that can still be produced organically. So if you've got 15 minutes to shop, not an hour to be a aisle stalker, you know, and read all the labels, what is your typical MO when you go shopping? What are you zeroing in on on various products? What are the things that turn you off right away? And what is something that you go to right away to look to see? Maybe it's not a product you use all the time. Oh, this is going to be a good one for our family. Yeah, I tend to go for things that are typically very minimally processed. So that means that I'm looking at ingredient lists that are rather short, also focusing a lot of on fresh or um, ingredients that are similar to fresh. So for example, like produce that's either fresh or frozen or canned. I'm really looking at things that matter to my health, for example, like fiber. You know, I've mentioned in previous episodes just how little fiber Americans consume and how much we should be eating. We're not near meeting that amount. And then saturated fat, you know, I think it's important to recognize that heart disease is so prevalent in our country. It runs a lot in families. And so there's that genetic component. And so limiting that now that's for your general day to day. But of course, like here and there, there's nothing wrong with like whenever I'm choosing, for example, cookie or ice cream, I'm not trying to go for like the healthiest option. I'm eating cookie or ice cream. I want the the stuff that's going to taste the best. So you're going for those small pints. You're not going for the half gallon where you're digging for the gold all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they don't last to, very long. Yeah, they the tend fridge, to. Freezer. Well, that's an interesting idea too. They both you know? last about equally as long. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, for me, my wife, it drives my wife crazy. She's the bowl lady. She uses a bowl for everything, like chips, she puts them in a bowl. She, ice cream, she would put it in a bowl. I'm the guy who wants to grab the spoon in the half gallon. I'm just saying, it's just the way I'm wired. I caught my fiance on the sofa with a pot <laughs> of mac and cheese. And, <laughs> like, and he's like, fewer dishes, which like I respect. Yeah, um, I if do you want to do fewer dishes, him. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love him too, but man, uh, it, it could have been, I think a bowl could have been a, a better alternative to that, uh, to that with a pot holder. So, yeah. Anyways. Well, lots of good stuff here. And I encourage people to, again, from my experience, and it's just me, but you get into it, you look at labels. It doesn't take long to be able to whiz through those things real fast. You don't have exactly. to make this a Ignore hobby. Ignore the marketing. Look at that less attractive list, the nutrition facts label and that ingredient list, and you're good to go. Shanti, good to see you. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Shanti Apello, who's a registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. We thank her for being here. We thank you for listening to A Healthier 
Warrior Michigan podcast. You can stay in touch with us. This is brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. You can jump online and you can get old episodes, new episodes by going to a healthiermichigan.org. You can leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you want old episodes, new episodes for your smartphone or your tablet, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can take us on a healthy walk or journey as we head. Uh, well, we're not quite heading into spring yet, but we'll get there soon enough. I'm Chuck Gatica. Stay well.